the sandwich at the dog bowl, where it flopped open and spilled messily over the polished floor. The kitchen lights overhead felt suddenly too brash, and I flinched, swallowing my anger as I snatched up your bottle and slopped milk across the counter. I was so cross. I reached over to the light switch, flicking them off so I didn't need to squint anymore, and as I did so, my arm swept across the worktop, sending the breadboard and meat knife hurtling into the sink with a clatter. When I heard you gasp in the dimness, I was sorry again, so sorry, and I reached out to put my hand on your shoulder to soothe you and let you know I was there. I paused, my pulse racing, as I listened out for any signs of them coming home as by now I had no grasp of time and it seemed possible they could be back at any moment, ticking me off for getting you up, for waking you unnecessarily. But the silence remained, broken by nothing more than the gentle whistle of wind passing the windows that looked out across the drive. They wouldn't understand. All I wanted to do was hold you. I felt shaky as I stood beside your high chair in the half-light, watching the whites of your eyes blinking up at me, marvelling at the porcelain perfection of your dimpled fingers and rounded cheeks. And then, as I went to lift you up, I heard the sound of tyres on the gravel outside, and the room grew instantly brighter, briefly bathing you in light, and in the seconds before the lights dipped, I saw your closed eyes and the blood on your sleep suit. Fresh blood, bright and wet. I cried out, screamed, staggered in my panic to get to you, to save you. But I couldn't save you, could I? The great gulf of darkness opened up again like a silent roar, wrapping its weight around me and crushing my breaths as I went under. Part One Chapter One Jess Emily is across the room, her shape made silhouette by the earthy glow of lamplight beyond the front window. There's someone with her, their head is tilted in concern, their hand resting on her shoulder, and even through the vapour of my dazed mind I can see that she is crying from the way her chest rises and falls with each shuddering breath. It's a tiny movement, but one I remember from earliest childhood, the way she'd turn inwards as she tried to keep it together, tried to hold it all inside. I see her now, aged four or five, casting aside her new red scooter, wanting instead my purple one. I was bewildered as she turned her back to me and stood at the low garden wall, unspeaking, taking these same shallow breaths, trying to contain herself. Like a volcano, that's what Dad used to say. She's about to blow. The paramedic tells me to stay still for a while, and I'm so tired I don't argue. I just close my eyes and drift, and wait for them to tell me what to do next. I'm rocking, 
standing alone on the deck of the ferry, seeing the island for the first time, the sea sunglass bright, sailing past cheerful yellow boys and bobbing yachts as the densely wooded land and stony beaches come into clear view. A picture postcard setting for idyllic grand houses and country quaint cottages. Behind me, beyond the white spumed wake of the vessel, dark Napoleonic forts rise up through the distant waters, and I'm afraid. What is this? I wonder, this strange, meandering train of thought. I can feel the hard surface beneath me, and my fingertips move listlessly, recognising the rough furrows of the kitchen floor tiles. Am I drunk? Or dreaming? Or dying, even? My head feels submerged, as though I'm looking up.